0: Austin is a military veteran and graduated from West Point with an engineering degree and got his MBA from the University of Texas at Austin. He co-founded a roofing distribution business and after a short few years, grew it from scratch to over $20 million in revenue and before selling it and starting his current contracting business. Austin, thanks for being on the show.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've uh, listened to quite a few of your shows, and it's a, it's an honor and a privilege to be on here.
0: Yeah, thank you. Now, I know you're a bit of a, a serial entrepreneur. When did you get the entrepreneur's bug?
1: <laughs> I like that bug. <laughs> I often joke about it being a, a disease, or uh, I guess, uh, yeah, definitely, yeah, pros and cons. I've really had it, I think, my, my whole life. The first thing I, I started doing, probably 2002? 2000, so I was, I guess a junior in high school buying and selling, buying stuff in bulk on eBay and, and selling it back. And yeah, you can never do that now, but it, it, there was an opportunity there and uh, I was working part time at, at Subway and I uh, started doing that and making more than I was making at Subway. And I was like, okay, this is, I, I like the way this thing works.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, so you had the entrepreneur bug early. And then you you went into the military. What was what was your decision behind that?
1: Yeah, so I was really involved in high school with student government and, and sports and, and a lot of stuff. And I did I did pretty pretty well academically. So all that said, I'm not not patting myself on the back, but I, I had a fairly good shot of going to to West Point. So I had already applied to UT's their business school, UT, university of Texas and uh, Austin Yeah, for undergrad. And I'd gotten in and I had a roommate and all this stuff. And I was at a friend's house and he was, he had like a West point brochure on the, on his table. And, uh, I started looking at it being an entrepreneur. It was not only was it free, but we actually got paid a small stipend to go there. Mm. So uh, that that was really alluring and it was nice to get out of Texas I love Texas but it, it was cool to kind of be all you could be and kind of see a different different part of the country and I, I like the leadership training and it was it was definitely it was an ex- an experience but it I learned a lot about myself and how I deal with stress and uh, really really great education
0: yeah yeah maybe can you elaborate on so yourself and how you deal with stress because you mentioned leadership and and yeah. That's one of the things that as entrepreneurs, we're always trying to get better at. What did you learn from that specifically? <laughs> yeah.
1: I think the biggest takeaway, like the one thing I remember reflecting on really seriously was being authentic in high school. And, and when I was in like leadership positions, I thought I was doing a good job. And it was me kind of putting on the, the politician, the smiling, the all the stuff. I'm not, not saying not to, to smile, but I was really kind of putting up front on and that does not work as well when things are, when things are serious or when you're around people for a lot of time mm-hmm. being deployed with your, your soldiers practically 24 seven. And it's just, it was exhausting putting on a front and it, it just wasn't as effective. I just had one day and I was like, you know, I can't keep trying to be this, this person. So I started being myself and it was, it was a lot easier. And yeah, I think that my soldiers recognized it. and. Everything kind of kind of came together, but yeah, it took a, it took a while to learn that. And then at West Point, there was a lot of peer leadership. You're freshman year, you're a plebe, and their system is designed. They they break you down. They take away your kind of take away your identity as a as a freshman, and then in the next three years they build you up. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you're you're taking a lot of high school seniors that were pretty you know competitive and and did well and used to being kind of the we'll say like alpha, but like stand out all-American type of kids and then you get to school and and you're just another kind of cog in the wheel and they break you down but your sophomore year you're in charge of one plebe so you kind of get a little bit of leadership and then you're no longer a plebe and then your junior year you're in you know they have different they kind of they they kind of ramp up the leadership and give you different opportunities and you're constantly being evaluated constantly being graded You, you have a an academic grade that's it's weighted, so it's like 50, 50% of your total rank is your academic and then your physical is another portion of it. So your physical education classes and then you have the Army fitness test and you're constantly being graded against your, your peers. But the leadership is another big portion of that, your, your military grade. And yeah, you're always graded. I didn't realize like the day I got there, like you are being evaluated against your peers. Interesting. So yeah, no, it's, it's, it's interesting and not a great place for like, I guess the entrepreneur or like the the business and the kind of the development that I got there was really learning how I deal with stress. They load Mm. you up with academics. I think the least amount of hours I took was seven, no, 19 and a half was the least. And then I took 23 and a half one semester and then you also have to play murals, and you also have to do a bunch of other stuff You get your room inspected. But yeah, anyway, I could talk about that for...
0: <laughs> totally. Now, one thing I want to clarify before we, we, we sort of move on to the next topic is you said break, break you down. Is that sort of trying to teach you humility? Is that what they're trying to accomplish?
1: I think, yeah. You know what? That, that's probably part of it. There's not a lot of like, I wouldn't say a lot of like arrogant or really prideful people there. I mean, there are a couple as freshmen, but it's really to, they like to compare us to, I think it was like a piece of clay. I remember hearing this um, it's coming back to me mm-hmm. and, and kind of breaking you down to mold you back in the way that they, they want you to, as far as like discipline and how you present yourself and how you communicate. And yeah, it's an effective way of doing it. It's a really, it's a rough, it is a rough year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's so, kind of like looking back, you can get through that. I'm, stuff I do now is not, not as bad.
0: <laughs> yeah that's definitely one way to look at it so you gotta you went through that and then i guess you know t- talking a little bit more on the business side You know, early on you you co-founded a, a roofing distribution business H- how did that happen
1: sure so i was i was in the army and got out of the army and i went to a recruiter and being a guy in my 20s single guy in my 20s i was like i picked the job that paid the most which I would not necessarily recommend, but it was a sales engineer job. So I worked for Carrier and Johnson Controls, selling the kind of like custom, really big chilled water systems, like air conditioner stuff. So that was kind of how I got brought back into uh, construction. So I, I knew I wanted to go to business school, but through through working in sales engineer, I, I I liked it, and I you know I had I had a lot of like early successes and the idea of getting a commission and all that stuff. So I originally planned to go to business school full time, but UT has a program in Houston where the professors travel from Austin to Houston on the weekend, which was cool. But also the bigger thing for me there was that work paid quite a bit of the tuition. So I was working full time and going to to business school. So that, that was a big, that was a big plus for that. But then as I was wrapping up business school, I got connected with a, a gentleman through my dad. So I also grew up a roofer. So when people ask me how long I've been roofing, I usually say 33 years. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I might have up on a roof at a very young age. But I, I met a guy at lunch with my dad. It was actually on his birthday. And he was talking about starting a roofing distribution company. And I, again, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur and kind of control my destiny. And the fundamentals of the business and then the market in Houston at that time, it made a lot of sense financially if the sales were there and all, all that kind of stuff to, to start one because I don't know how familiar with the distribution, but it, it kind of seems like it goes through these cycles of there'll be a lot of independents and they all get consolidated by a private equity fund and they go they get bought up by one of the huge guys and the guys that started all the small ones. Their non-competes run out and then they do it again. and I think I see it kind of happening here in Houston mm. again with quite a few of the independents. but yeah, so that that's kind of how I got into the distribution so knowing really nothing about roofing aside from the stuff growing up with it, but having to you know learn about shingles and products and it was really eye-opening to me it was working with the roofing contractors local to Houston so that was it was uh, interesting experience.
0: Yeah. What did what did you learn sort of starting it up? I mean, you had some obviously had some assumptions going into it. What did you learn in the first couple of years when you're getting it up and
1: going? I could tell you, I could rattle off a lot of cliches. Yeah, cash, cash is king. Yeah, cash flow and distribution is is very is very important. Collections, especially with like roofing contractors and stuff. In Texas, you can't file a uh, a lien as a material supplier on a residential home.
2: Mm.
1: So we lost a lot of our lien rights and all, most of the stuff we sold was shingles doing, you know, residential, residential projects, hailstorms. We had a hailstorm come in and that, that was a, our, our business doubled over, you know, overnight, which was awesome. But the the downside of it, we started joking and calling it a, a hail hangover is anybody that needed a roof got a roof done? So after that that initial kind of surge of, mm. of business, there was a, a notable, almost equal and opposite reaction with a mm. decline in sales. So how did you manage that decline? Did you did you add product line around ooh, that? <laughs> we we tried all sorts of stuff. So another interesting thing about distribution is it's manufacturers don't want to set you up if you're an independent like because they want to protect their relationships with the the abcs the beacons the srs the the big guys yeah so if gaf were to open us up meaning we could sell their products direct then abc would be upset because you're adding one more person to the market here yeah and all we'd be kind of a race to the bottom on on pricing and stuff so that was another like an interesting thing and I never, I didn't really I understand it kind of coming from their perspective but at the same time it's like it's weird to me that you have people that want to sell your product and you're they're not gonna let you sell it when we have customers that are, w- would buy it but
0: mm. so it was the kind of a, was it like a back and forth you'd have some access to products and then sometimes there's some weird politics that happens and and you'd lose rights
1: or not get access to yeah the products. We- we just never really got a lot of the products up front, especially from the major manufacturers. So we, we sold, we found kind of our niche was selling a, a different kind of shingle that wasn't really represented well in the, in the Houston market. So by doing that, we were able to kind of carve out a niche and it was a, it was a heavier shingle that had guard algae resistant stuff. So there was definitely some, some features and benefits there, but yeah, no, it was, it was challenging. It's a challenging business. If you're at scale and you've got a consistent customer base that's buying and paying and stuff, it's a good business. But it's once you kind of get past that, once you cover your fixed costs, you're you're great. But if you're not hitting that, I mean, it is it is easy to lose money, especially during the the winter months when people aren't necessarily putting on that many roofs.
0: Okay, so the takeaway is like independents they try to differentiate their products, maybe deal with mid to small size manufacturers, and then I guess. I guess there's business model is still sort of low margin, high velocity products. Is that kind of it?
1: Yeah, it's kind of a pull through business too. So we could be the best salespeople with the best products at the best prices. But if if people aren't putting on roofs, if our customers aren't selling, then we're not selling. So that that's another kind of interesting thing on 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 distribution. Your
0: customers, as in contractors, aren't selling.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so if our contractors were struggling to sell roofs to homeowners, then they they're not buying shingles from anybody. So, if the you know if the market declined at all, you know we were kind of secondary, kind of secondary effect. Yeah.
0: Did you have your own salespeople, or were you doing anything like training the the contractors on how to sell?
1: Yeah. No. 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 Yeah. We that was a, a big thing that we we really tried to differentiate on was was training contractors and helping them helping them them sell roofs. And my my partner was a very talented salesperson that was also a a former shingle roofing contractor. So that was, that was good. Mm. And that was something we kind of tried to do differently. And we we were hungry for the work. And a lot of the contractors saw us as kind of an underdog and a lot of there's smaller contractors and then there's huge contractors. And if you're a smaller contractor, it's a lot easier to deal with a smaller distributor that, knows you and will get your order out on time. Oh yeah. So it's kind of said another way. If you're, if you're doing 10 roofs a day, some major new construction guy. Yeah. You're going to be able to call the shots with the distributor, whatever time you want to get it there. If you have a problem, they're going to take care of you first, which makes sense. Yeah. But for the smaller guy, we, we could kind of treat them with that, that same level of customer service.
0: That's true. Your price might be slightly higher, but maybe you're helping them more on selling through and something like that, give and take. Yeah,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. And then just kind of better better customer service for the amount that they, they buy.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I know you you talked about Amazon earlier. How would companies like Amazon affect the building materials industry? Like in terms of distribution? Uh, I hope they, <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: they can get into distribution, just don't get into contracting. I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's... It's interesting. I I don't know how distribution is going to be able to take on that that threat. With like, there's not much I can't buy at my computer right now. Like food to having people deliver groceries yeah. to you know, Amazon has any of those kind of products. So if you look at the supply chain or the value chain from talk about shingles, the raw asphalt to the end consumer being the homeowner there's a certain amount of value that each time it changes hands, someone captures. So asphalt to shingle manufacturer, you know, asphalt people make money. And then the shingle guys make money. And then that goes to distribution and they make money. And then to the contractor selling them to the homeowner, they make money. So there's all these different kind of value traps and I don't call them value traps, but that's just kind of how it works. Yeah, But of all, of of all those, I, I think distribution is the easiest one to they kind of get, get skipped. but if you're a, if you're a major manufacturer, major distribution, that stuff works. But if there was a local shingle plant and you could say, you know, you just cut out that 30%, that distribution is, is taking 20 to 30%. Yeah. I, I think the contractor might be interested in that. You know, I think that would be enough to be competitive to kind of figure out that, that delivery thing. And then, you, you know, Amazon with their their kind of network of stuff or Walmart or any of these other major companies that are in the business of getting anything anywhere cheaper, faster than anyone else. You know, it's, it's tough. <laughs> it, it'll be, it'll be interesting. to kind of see how that, how that goes.
0: Absolutely.
1: And then as a manufacturer for some of the stuff we get now, like the coatings and stuff, it's even paying freight direct from the manufacturer to to the job site or to our, our office. Is, is you, I mean, it's, it's very seldom as much as the, the markup from, from distribution and the benefit too with working with the manufacturer is they know what they're talking about Yeah, most, most of the time, but you, you're kind of dealing with the horse's mouth as far as like, sure. Either ha- how to apply it or kind of guaranteeing also that you're not getting stuff that's been sitting around in the distributor's yard for a couple of years.
0: Sure. That makes sense. So, so, I mean, the distribution game is, is going to be scary for some of these companies. Now, you've gotten out of the distribution game and you're in the contracting side of it. What what sort of made you move to that? I mean, you're kind of going back to your roots, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, kind of going back to my roots. So my dad retired this year, but we, we never worked, worked together, but I, I, never, <laughs> I was never paid, so, but that's okay. <laughs> he fed me. But yeah, I, I never planned on getting into roofing or even into construction it's just kind of funny how how life works but yeah my dad has a great reputation and and i've kind of gotten to kind of carry on in his, his footsteps a lot of the, the local distributors and some of the manufacturers and reps and stuff but yeah so while doing while in, in distribution we had a manufacturer reach out to us about coatings and doing restorations and yeah. stuff like that and We almost exclusively sold residential shingles. So I think they offered us, hey, you can have four or five pallets kind of on consignment. Don't worry about it. Mm. If you sell it, you sell it. And I was like, yeah, of course. So they came down, they did a training on it. I was sitting there thinking like, this sounds really too good to be true. If you look at a a roof that you would need to do a tear off where instead of tearing the, the roof off, and filling up landfills not to mention all the labor that goes into that you can restore it and, and put a, a coating on there that will greatly extend the life it's it's a lot faster and there's you're, you're not exposing the roof by uh turning it off and then you can just coat it again in you know five to ten years depending on the, the mill thickness and the type of coating and all that kind of stuff and then oh by the way it's Forty percent less, fifty percent less, kind of depending on the the material and the application. Or yeah. So yeah, I was it really piqued my interest doing that. And when I when I exited the distribution company, we started. I was kind of I'm not messing around with it, kind of on the on the side, working on a couple other things. But we had been a, you know a few jobs, and we got one. And we I was out there rolling silicone and primer and all that stuff. And yeah, we were out there it's like three or four days from like seven to seven to seven. Yeah. So we, we finished this job it was me and uh, hired a couple, couple buddies. I, anything we do, like I like to do it myself first to kind of understand it. And yeah. So yeah, we went through training and, and learned how to install it. And we've gotten a whole lot better <laughs> since then. And, and there's a lot of different things like that we use now to, before doing it and best practices and, and, and stuff like that. But yeah, no, that was really exciting and it was a good job and it was enough to kind of get the ball rolling and build out the website and just kind of been been growing since then.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, it's just a question that always comes to mind. Coatings have that value proposition in the roofing sector. What are the challenges for the manufacturers that are trying to grow the coding presence in the uh, roofing industry?
1: Oh, Yes. So I think the first time I went to the IRE was in 2000, I think it was 2014 or 13. Mm -hmm. It was in Vegas. And I I remember walking around and I saw, I want to say it was like maybe three or four coding people, coding manufacturers. Yeah, There's probably a hundred now, at least. It's kind of everybody, everybody wants to have a coding now. It's just kind of an ancillary product. And I don't know for sure, but I have a hunch. There's maybe only three or four companies that are actually making it and the rest are just private labeling it <laughs> or something like that or putting a probably <laughs> oh, <wait. laughs> you know, maybe a yes but yeah yeah yes i'll just <laughs> kind of leave it at that but yeah it's it's kind of become saturated and again just enough to keep bashing distribution but they they'll take in a product and selling shingles a lot of times it's just the race to the bottom so get the products and distribution and then the people selling it are generally shingle salesmen and there's just not a at least in houston a very strong commercial roofing the roofing the commercial roofing contractors they tend to know the stuff and what works and what doesn't but the people at distribution don't necessarily know as as much as the the contractors whereas with shingles it's usually reversed all that said is you've got these guys that usually sell shingles no fault of their own but trying to sell a coating so that they will as from the manufacturer's perspective it, it becomes a race to the bottom on price and then the the big issue that i see with that is you have guys installing coatings that don't know what they're doing mm. if you do a coating and we've, we've had definitely had some some struggles on projects with with coatings and we've learned a whole lot from that but if if you're a building owner and you've got property manager or, or whatever, and you've got a whole portfolio of roofs and you have a guy do a coding incorrectly and be a disaster. And, and then the, they'll swear off coatings entirely. Mm. So no matter what I say and like how we present it and kind of explain how we, we kind of do things differently, it doesn't, it doesn't really, doesn't matter. And then again, on the contracting side, it can kind of become a race to the bottom also. Mm. How do you differentiate yourself? oh we spend a like kind of from start to finish we've always invested a lot in our like online presence yeah a lot of roofing contractors are kind of good old boy networks and stuff and i mean my dad's company doing work all over the country and i actually built their website maybe four four years ago yeah i mean he was i think he had like a yahoo email and that was Fine. I mean, he's did still, even then, he's doing a whole lot more work than we are. Yeah. But it's just that, that things are kind of changing and, you know, reviews and stuff like that. But yeah, really having a, a good, like, we, we invested in our in our website and a lot of the, the search engine optimization is another kind of big thing. And then just taking a lot of pictures and documenting what we do and being able to communicate with the customer. We spend a lot of time on our quotes making them look good and like overly communicating kind of what we're, what we're doing. And by doing that, we, you know, we don't, we definitely don't get every job, but the customers that, that really care about getting it done right, where price is only one of the decision factors, if it's, if it's only price, you know, we're, we're usually not going to be the, the cheapest, but if it's a, they see the value in, in using us and kind of, you know, how, how we, um, we'll take care of them, you know, before, during, and after, I think that goes, a, goes a long way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, I know originally we sort of connected through Instagram. You like that channel. What do you like so much about Instagram?
1: It's cool. So before we were updating, (laughs) uh, I actually don't have a personal Instagram or personal Facebook. I got off a couple of years ago. I was just wasting time. Yeah. (laughs) I think I've missed two election cycles. So I'm trying to think of like how many annoying posts (laughs) I've gotten to skip. But with the website, it was a whole lot easier putting a plugin on there mm-hmm. to kind of showcase our recent work. So when I post something on Instagram, it will also post simultaneously on our website versus having to get in there and upload it and then constantly adjust in the website. So that's kind of how we got started on it. But as I got on there, I had someone else doing it for a while. And then I started just kind of taking it over myself kind of fun, but then kind of looking and then you just kind of see all the other roofers and you know, it kind of a community you know i see a lot of the same kind of guys posting and liking and it's really cool kind of seeing a lot of other roofers they're working stuff like that but yeah i I put a lot of importance on our team taking photos and utilizing drones and we do a lot of stop action videos and there's just a lot the more we can show what we're doing and how we're doing it
2: yeah
1: that allows us to communicate the customer more effectively. So they, it's easier for us to manage our expectations kind of from the beginning. Yeah. And it's nice. It's kind of a one-time you build the content once, and then you have that kind of in perpetuity, similar to your podcast, right? You, you build up a portfolio and you've got a following of it. And like I said earlier, I've listened to, I think almost, maybe not all of them, but (laughs) quite a few (laughs) of your podcast. And it's, it's it's interesting because it's, it's what I do. And there's not a lot there, not a lot of, education kind of in that space and y'all do a great job grabbing really impressive folks i got re Ribble. while i I had no idea Roofer became a congressman and just (laughs) kind of hearing yeah his story and and with the nrca and all that stuff i mean it's just yeah anyway it's cool it's been very informative so i'd recommend yeah i love listening to your other other podcasts. yeah (laughs) thanks
0: you're a busy guy you're doing multiple things that impressive things now, what what sort of sort of are your top three habits or routines that help you keep it all together?
1: I struggle with routines. So I'll be I'll be honest with you, but the things that I've I've done consistently, I I have like a quiet time. I try to do like some some spiritual stuff every day. That helps and kind of puts things in perspective. I think I'm on a five hundred and 16-day streak on a Duolingo. It's like a, a language learning app. Yeah, yeah. So Spanish is big in, in Texas. So I, I took it in high school or middle school, high school, and, and, and undergrad. And this app is, I mean, it blows me away. I'm I've, I've so much better at Spanish just from that, using that app. But that's something I'm fairly fairly religious with. And kind of to answer your question more, more specifically is, when I wake up, I don't look at my phone for, I try to get one to three things done before I look at my phone. Yeah. And that, again, easier said than done, but there's stuff that every day you have a certain, a fixed amount of time to do stuff. And if I can get one to three things done before all the other stuff hits, it it's amazing how far you can move the ball over, over a year, over a couple of years. So, yeah, being really trying to be proactive and just having a list and constantly thinking about, you know, what you're doing and why you're doing it. And and also just trying to take some time to reflect. I, I struggle with this, but taking time to reflect on where you've kind of come from. It's easy to kind of always be wrapped up and moving forward, but kind of taking a, some gratitude or appreciation for things that you've done in the past and successes and, and, and what have you.
0: Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Now, is there anything I should have asked you but didn't?
1: Ooh, um, that is a great question. Um, oh, the the
0: dual thing. How how long does that take you every day? By the way.
1: Oh, it, so probably five five to fifteen minutes. Really? That's so all. it goes. Yeah, there's highly recommend it it's free you can like i pay for it just out of i love it so i I figure that's the least i can do but it it progressively gets harder and there's different sections for different type of categories and stuff like that so the level one i can burn through those pretty quick but when you start getting to like level five and it (laughs) it gets pretty challenging but it builds on itself and it's just it's really really well done let's see i guess book recommendations. That's something like, uh, I think that sure. might be a good, I, I, sure.
0: what do you like? Yeah.
1: I listened, like, I think I listened to 80, like 80 something books last year. So I'm, I'm constantly nice. Yeah. And it's, you know, sitting in traffic or around the office doing dishes, you know, laundry, that kind of stuff. But, uh, there's a book principles by Ray Dalio. That's yeah, a really like that good one. book. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Zero to one, Peter Thiel. He's one of the PayPal founders and he's a big venture capital guy. uh, Familiar with
0: the book. I haven't read that one, but uh, that's, that's cool. It's
1: fairly short. I, these are books I've I've listened to more than once and the zero to one is really interesting. It's, it's all too easy to read. You know, there's so many books out there on tech and scaling up and all this stuff. And it's, it's very easy to be like, Oh, well, that's not my industry or Oh, doesn't apply to roofing or, but if you kind of take that excuse away and and think about how you can apply some of the um, the stuff that he talks about throughout the book, it, there's a, a lot of good good takeaways there.
0: What's one thing that stands out in that in that book that sort of, you said you listened to it a few times? Zero to one.
1: Yeah. So one of the things that that stuck like out to me is every companies that are monopolies will do, go out of their way to to say that they're not monopolies, and then the wide majority of companies that aren't monopolies or don't have any kind of like pricing power, try to differentiate themselves to look like monopolies. So roofing contracting, like you said earlier, I'm just doing roofing and I can do this and that, but at the end of the day compared to Google or Facebook or something like that, it, it's just incomparable, you know, yeah. the amount of power that they have and then they're constantly, Oh, we're not a monopoly. We don't have this or that. But his idea is to focus on how what you can kind of do to become a, to become a monopoly or try to get as close as you can, and he does a really good job, kind of walking through that and, and looking at different case studies and stuff. It's just it's it's not a very long book. I think the premise of it is he was teaching a class on venture capital at Stanford, and it was kind of like the big kind of takeaways from that. He also does a really good job too of kind of just the the myth of. Work really hard in school, go to a good college, work hard there, get a job, be a lawyer, blah blah blah. And ultimately, the big premise is on the people that are, are rewarded kind of disproportionately are the people that create value. And creating value in tech, again, like Facebook or like Google, like they're the best because they they are their search function works better, and their, their Gmail and Maps and all that stuff is there's just so much value there, and that's why the Owners and a lot of the first people that work there are all billionaires because, like, that that impacts so many people's lives positively. Or Amazon, like, like love them or hate them, it's still a, a very good product. And it, those people created kind of value out of thin air. And again, I, I try to think about that and like what I'm doing and, and how we can create value for the customer. I'm not a, <laughs> when I was doing sales engineering or in business school and stuff being around a whole lot of smart people all the time. It's hard to kind of stand out, but roofing, (laughs) not, 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 you know, the roofers and stuff like that, but there's just, it's kind of an antiquated industry, especially just construction in general. Like, yeah, on one of your podcasts, they were talking about how much like R and D is like, like half a percent or 2%. I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but other industries are 10%. So that's something that I'm like, okay, well, if we want to get, the things that he's talking about having a better competition and being able to stand out from the other guys spending more on R and D and like, that's sending you some pictures of our office. It almost looks like a lab, like a laboratory because we do testing on all the different products that we have got a wall of adhesion tests with 17 different types of coatings. Nice. Yeah. And it's just, okay. Well, not only I'm not just selling, Hey, Mr. Customer, this product was cheaper. So I'm selling it to you. It's, we have tested it and I've like got sample boards outside of codings, how they handle over time. And I, I just, I, I love that stuff, I guess, first of all, but it, it also helps with, with marketing and being able to, and also just gives us confidence that we're doing the right, you know, the right thing. But yeah, really long explanation of, of what no, I think no, in that book. It's but, really
0: good. Yeah. No, thank you. So um, no, those are very good things. I'll, I'll definitely check those things out, but uh, Austin, thank you so much. I love the tech side. I mean, I'm involved in the building material side, like you are, and on the contracting side, but it's definitely great to hear you've been part of so many different aspects of that. So I'm sure people got uh, a lot out of it.
1: Good, I hope so. No, thank you. And I mean, hey, I'm really honored. Uh, it's a privilege to be on the, on your show. And yeah, keep it up. I really enjoy listening to it. I've learned a bunch from it. And yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, you have a couple nuggets of uh, info to folks out there. Yeah, thank you.
0: I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify today. Also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone, anyone that would benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon.